I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Good evening at Thrive Studio and it's Carrie Benedette with you tonight. But my two guests who who really are the people that you want to talk to tonight and listen to are none other than Catherine Hoekstra, Hoekman, sorry, in the middle. I'm sorry, Catherine. I don't know why I did that. Catherine Hoekman in the middle and Anna Masters on the end. We've had a little bit of fun with the IT already, so you're probably in for a ripping conversation tonight with a few hiccups. How are you, girls? <laughs> Good evening. I've lost my sound again. I'm going to go out and come back in. I'll be back in a tick. Oh, dear. Look, we're all getting very used to idiosyncrasies. And um, not only is it idiosyncrasy about Wi-Fi, Catherine, it's also idiosyncrasy around pronunciation of your surname. So I'm now on a hat trick, so forgive me. (laughs) My husband's surname, I've never minded too much about such things. (laughs) <laughs> oh no I don't usually do that so there you go well look it's um I I feel very privileged this is your term break from um from from college and let's get Anna up here here she goes this is your term break in Victoria oh, again it does a flip around I'm so sorry I'm just okay. losing sound just uh, go just and come back in and see if it works. Okay, let's see if we can do it. <laughs> um, yeah, term break and in Victoria. Look, our hearts have been going out to everyone in Victoria um, for a second lockdown, a second um, experience of what it's been like. So, my hat off to you. How are you feeling? <laughs> I think we're ready for uh, the end to come, definitely, although there's a certain routine that you develop and we've been in it so long that uh, I think it'll be just as hard to break the new routine, to be honest. <laughs> Perhaps it will, yes. Um, Anna, you've, um, you're, you're on leave at the present time. You're mm-hmm. principal of Sacre-Cœur College mm-hmm. at, uh, and... Uh, um, uh, Catherine, you are uh, Director of Teaching and Learning at Caulfield Grammar. So you're very welcome tonight. And as I always do, we have a little bit of an outline of your amazing careers. Not only are you women within your own right, you are mothers, you are aunts, uncles, partners, uh, whatever it is that we do these days, but your educational expertise precedes you not only internationally, but also nationally and regionally. So, Catherine, I'm going to start start with you. A little bit of history, if you don't mind. Um, and so I don't make any more mistakes. Let's give everyone a bit of an idea of your experience, but mainly your love of all things education. 
you have a huge interest and love of research and innovation. And that has been evident in your work, not only at Caulfield Grammar, but also uh, with AIS in the Elevate program for gifted students, your work with New South Wales University in the gifted um, area of the university there, uh, Director of Research and Innovative Learning at Abbotsley as and also a Director of the Eileen O'Connor Centre, which was all around complex learning needs in the Archdiocese of Sydney before you came to Melbourne. Carry my sound again. Okie doke, Anna. We'll just keep, we'll just keep trying and uh, see what happens. Otherwise, Catherine, it's you and I tonight. <laughs> I'll try to represent Melbourne well, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll try to come in again. All right, beautiful. Let's try it again. You can see how pivotal we are, how adaptable and flexible we are. We just go with the flow. Um, Catherine, one of the things that um, I got to know about you was, you know, you're highly creative. Your mind must never rest. And um, I know that when you throw yourself into the best possible educational result for the, for the students that you teach. I mean, managing five campuses at, at Caulfield Grammar must be a massive job, um, but also an exciting one. Yeah, yeah the challenge, I worked in large systems like Catholic Ed and AIS, working with the independent sector. Caulfield was kind of unique because it's like a small system. Five campuses is is big enough to leverage some a lot of talent <laughs> amongst the staff, um, but small enough to be quite agile. So uh, I think I, I landed in the right space for the conditions we've been, uh, you know, challenges and and things that have been happening of late. So okay. poor Anna. <laughs> So here we go, Anna. Um, Anna Masters, I'm actually going to give you uh, everybody an outline of, of Anna's work um, and her her experience over many years in education. I can um, now if I can't see, but that's all right. If I pop out, just keep talking. Okay, we can see you. So that's good. <laughs> that's fantastic. We've got one one thing working. There we go, Anna. Um, You've had an extensive career leading change and strategic life to vision and mission in the schools that you have been working with. Mm -hmm. They're learning communities and your passion is a, is a rich one around uh, developing a culture of continual learning, a, a culture of joy and excellence, uh, lifelong relationships in the learning. And um, you are a keen mentor and a coach. You have emotional intelligence that underlies mm -hmm all that you do, but you have a very strong um, value system that underpins what you do as well. Your work has been extensive in the Catholic system, the independent system of schools. Um, and I'm going to tell you everybody that Anna's father, Don Salmon, was actually my lecturer at Sydney Teachers College many <laughs> years ago. So that one, you didn't expect me to say, Anna, did you? No. <laughs> That's why I thought I'd never go into education. I and I spent my whole life dedicated to learning. And, and listeners, these these two amazing women um, and practitioners uh, I have known for a little while as well. So um, it 
you know, for me to have bumped into them in my lifetime, I always think that's the greatest joy. And the program Thriving Matters is all about this. Both of them thrive and they've been in a second lockdown in Melbourne. So I really want to move us to that and just talk about our topic tonight is all about the diverse needs of large communities and what we have experienced with a very keen second return um, for, for Victorian schools. And then let's look at what we've noticed, what it is that we're going to take from this, what are we going to let go of. So I'm just going to say your break is here, but I'm, I hope you are having a break because your thriving does matter. For you to continue to do this, you have to you have to put something in place. So what have you been up to today, Anna Masters? What have you done about your thriving? Well, within my five I've I've um I've gone for a long walk and then I went for a long bike ride. So I've actually broke the rule a little bit. I went out twice. But <laughs> it's made sanity. It was a reasonably sunny day today, so getting out into the fresh air and soaking in some vitamin B was absolutely essential. Good on you. And um I don't think you would be alone, uh, actually, in that in that strategy. What about you, Catherine? I'm a fanatical dog walker, but uh, I bake by night and then I deliver baked goods by day within five kilometres of my house. <laughs> That's my day. I procrastinate and walk. But you know, they are some great, two great examples of making sure that you've got that zone in there making sure you do it. And what are they telling us about practices of gratitude? It's something like we do five times the practice of gratitude that gives us back then what we need to be able to continue to do it under stress, under all the different things, the decision-making we're making. So let's move on to diverse learning needs. So tell me, have you got some observations of what it's been like the second time around that you'd like to share? Should I go first? <laughs> the, uh, the challenges, I think, um, almost in, in some ways double. Um, everyone was doubly disappointed is the way I'd describe it. Having tried so hard the first time, I think our teachers um, have always worked hard, but I don't think they've ever worked as hard as the second wave when we hit the hybrid zone. Um, it's a funny definition of hybrid. Basically, it was just some of the kids being on campus, some of them off. We've always had on-campus care for essential service workers. Um, but that was probably the most taxing teaching demand you could make of a staff. Um, mm. And with 3,300 kids out there with diverse needs, we had your, you know, our fair share of students requiring learning support from that group. Um, we had students who we're obviously quite independent learners, so you know there's that diversity within the group. Um, we have nearly a thousand staff out there who had learning needs as well, um, and I say we realised that our parents were learners at that point. Uh, we've always referred to them as partners, but our parents really became learners at that point. It was a new level of sustainability at home um, that required a lot more energy on their part as well. Yeah, they're they're interesting observations, aren't they? Second time around, and I, I like the second the second wave, but I also like hybrid. Um, yeah, Anna, what about your um, observations? Uh, I'm, 
I, I hope I don't repeat what Catherine said because I'm hearing you, Carrie, but I'm not hearing Catherine, so it's a really weird um, experience here, but that's okay. Um, second time around, what are my experiences in terms of um, the differentiated needs uh, that we're trying to cater to? So in terms of the students where a P to 12 were in New South Wales terms of kindergarten to 12 school, so it's trying to shape the learning and design the learning for all those ages and stages. So it's really complex. Um, so, you know, what a year 11 and 12 VCE student might require, pretty much a, a mirroring of, of their experience in day-to-day -day schooling. On-site schooling is very, very different to what a little prep will be experiencing and trying to work online and remotely. And, and it's been a massive challenge for everyone to um, design the learning so that it's catering to all those needs as well as the parents' Um, ability to support their, their littlest ones especially in terms of that learning and we've had to evolve and change and work with the parents and numerous surveys and working in partnership to evolve what we think will work best over time with an awareness of fatigue kicking in especially for the littlest ones and mm. um, towards the end of lockdown too I, I, I'm going to be quite frank I think the, the kids were having they'd had a gutful <laughs> Oh, they were yeah. tired. They were tired, and and their concentration spans were getting pretty limited. Um, I think, uh, uh, if nothing else, um, what it has reinforced for me is the importance of the social and emotional uh, coming together and learning together, um, and how a revaluing of of that has occurred with our younger people, especially how much they miss. Um, mm. learning together and collaboratively and, and just being with their friends. I think um, the feedback we've received from the students is that they've felt that they've become much more independent as learners, so that's one of the goals in the experience, but I think they're desperately want, wanting to come back on site. So the connections are really important for them, not just the virtual ones, but the the face-to-face. -face. Um, there would be security in that as well, though, isn't there? It's about a sense of safety coming coming to the to the um, the learning community that they know well, where they they have a place, so they have an identity as well. Um, it's it's a, an interesting thought, and those little ones we often think about students as the big ones, don't we? Um, and there's just a, a whole range. Of them and they're definitely their learning needs very different from say um, a year 11 or 12 PCE. Well see the or you know the learning and the learning design pretty much works effectively from year five up but from the P to 4s it's a very very different experience for them and it becomes more a design the day around the must-dos, the can-dos and the if-you-want-to-dos <laughs> experiences and um, and trying to, to bring some of the joy in and cut down screen time, which is a bit um, counterintuitive if you're also trying to teach through screen. So it's, it's, it's mm. quite challenging for the little ones, littlest ones especially. And our preppies, I feel so sorry for, who were starting school, they got you know, maybe term one in to really settle into school and they've had very, very disrupted big start to their whole learning experience in, in formal schooling. So it's been really challenging for them. And then conversely, year sevens as well, I think. Mm. 
That's uh, that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Because oh dear, I've lost your sound too. I'm going to pop in and pop out again. Hopefully it'll work. <laughs> See you in a tick. <laughs> it's one of those nights, everybody. I warned you. <laughs> Catherine, I'm interested in, um, you know, diverse needs of 3,000 students. So tell us what you did differently the second time around. Uh, I think we had the luxury of reflecting and responding. So while you wouldn't wish it on anyone a second go, we certainly had the advantage of a little bit more hindsight. Um, and we also had a fairly firm foundation that um, from day one, we had always planned to maintain our broad and balanced uh, co-curricular offerings. So we had a, a firm commitment to maintaining continuity academically, but we had always um, placed equal importance on the wellbeing and connection aspects. So even in the first wave, we had a broad and balanced day. So two days of academic program, a broad and balanced Wednesday, where families got to regroup. The, the mantra was be student-centered, be teacher-focused, but be family-friendly. Um, so that was our foundation in the first instance. We came back into the second wave, able to refine that still further. Um, but one of the things I was going to say about students, um, you know, need for connection is they need to be needed to feel needed as well. So yes. we often underestimate how important that is to your sense of belonging. And if you're used to being someone who contributes to your, your little class or even your little friendship group, to be messed up at home and maybe be the youngest person in the home, um, you don't have that same satisfaction of your need to be needed. Mm. Uh, and so our broad and balanced day was certainly about um, making sure that the, the arts remained alive and well, uh, reimagining almost every co-curricular activity that we offer normally, um, because you can't just replicate online any of these things really effectively. So an awful lot of creative imagination went into doing that. But I think the clever thing was uh, maintaining the student voice, students actually contributing yeah. things, um, not just having things done for them or to them, but having it done with them and then participating and still having leadership functions. Um, so, you know, your 10 boys running Minecraft workshops, a little primary school girl was running a netball clinic or, you know, so those things were equally important um, in terms of maintaining I guess the engagement with the academic side. So we we had that, that shifted to two afternoons a week um, when everyone had that opportunity to um, relax their routine, to rejuvenate, uh, to do things that were their choice um, and and just feed a few passions, whether it be on the, the teaching side or the, uh, the you know, the, being a learner again, so. Yeah, yeah. They, they sound um, as though you might keep some of those. They sound really I interesting. Do, I do think the way that people have responded to it, particularly um, staff having control over their learning, we had professional learning offered throughout those periods, but it was offered asynchronously and synchronously so that people could control their time. And that control over time uh, is something that I think really did feed a, a good quality engagement from both students and staff. So, you know, there are elements for sure that we intend to maintain, um, that we've really found a, a big bonus. In fact, that's kind of been the moral to the experience, I think for us is yeah. that we don't wanna be complacent about the wonderful things that have actually serendipitously, um, you know, really, you know, sort of um, emerged in this period.
the um, students, I've talked, I've spoken to a number of students on a previous um, uh, episode, and uh, they had, they were, uh, they were saying, look, we actually like the staggered time that we could make our day look like. We, we, some of, some of them, as you say, found it very easy to do what they had to do and struck self-structured, self-motivated. Others found it very difficult. But I did like them. Um, they were, they felt very free in voicing what they thought were some advantages, what they probably wouldn't try again without any malice. But they're just going no. They they're using their uh, their thinking skills. So um, I was thinking about the preps in the year sevens, and I'm thinking, you know, if you if you've never known what it was like for your, you know, what what it usually is like, well then this is whole new territory. Yeah. And Anna used the term learning design quite a bit in hers and really we are designers, not just of curriculum, but you're designing all of those rites of passage, you're having to keep track of all of those transition experiences and it's not just for the students. I think it's equally important for parents to mark certain milestones in the development of the child. Um, and so what we're, we've been devoting quite a bit of attention to is uh, maintaining our, you know, our functions at night. We've had uh, lots of parental PL opportunities that have been, you know, conducted through live events. Um, so we've been trying to maintain the kind of community milestones. Um, but I, I'm kind of proud of the fact that we didn't just try to replicate that. We had to think about what would be more effective in terms of leveraging technology for what technology is good at. And that was giving people control over where and when they would actually access those things. So yeah. I think that's another big plus, our parent, uh, teacher, student conversations. Um, again, I don't think we will go back. I think the fact that some parents yeah. found it easier to access those opportunities uh, from the comfort of their home. Um, you know, these are these are pluses that we've unearthed in terms of new flexibility that might better suit our community. That's interesting about the parents because, look, for for decades we've 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 had various strategies around how do we um, do the best for our students at school that notion of a partnership around parents and teachers and, and the student together. And this is what I'm hearing from a number of people, are that the parents are now, um, they've been contacted more than they've ever been contacted before. They've been kept up to date. Um, and, um, they you know, they're very interesting. Now, we've got uh, an education system um, that is very similar to what it was um, post-industrial revolution. Um, we have the advent um, and the use of a lot of technology. There's a whole lot of theories, a whole lot of frameworks around that. So the future looks very interesting for education. I, I, think, I, think, I think the future, I think it's been a long time. I hate people showing photos, photos from the 50s when my parents were at school. Um, I don't think that represents and hasn't represented my reality for about 30 years, to be honest. <laughs> I, I rarely see those sort of classrooms that people trot out as, as typical industrial model. Um, maybe I've just been fortunate, but our school is a, an I, a PYP school. We're implementing the MYP. Um, I think what our parents saw was that they shouldn't believe those myths about schooling not changing. They've actually been part of seeing what inquiry-based learning looks like. 
they've enjoyed it and i think um a number of them have commented on the fact that they didn't really understand just how much education has changed if you're reading these media stories where you know we seem to be stuck in the dark ages i don't think it's true i think that's a myth <laughs> and we've been able to probably accelerate it a little bit more in the, the this period now but i think the parent visibility has been quite helpful um yeah. a deeper understanding of why we teach differently um is going to benefit us i think in terms of the narrative going forward um i really see the pace picking up as a result of as i said as, as children, um our parents as learners our our school has been a learner for a year <laughs> you know um there isn't anyone on the staff that hasn't had to learn something um be it about technology or reimagining their role um, from the payroll to the, you know, we've all we've all had to reimagine what it's like to to run a school out of a bedroom. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, and I I agree with you. Um, there's been there's been so much that we can capture um, that has been dynamic, as well as things that we can go. You know what? Let's drop that off. That's yeah. That's yeah. not helping us yes, anymore. Definitely. Yeah. Now, Anna, I've got to give you an, a gold star in Perseverance, girl. Well oh. done. <laughs> oh, dear. I do what the story is here, but anyway. <laughs> well, it, it's... Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's frustration level, isn't it? I want to move you both to wellbeing because, you know, it's... It's well-being of the whole community. You're, you both uh, work and lead learning communities, um, so the well-being is a, is a big issue for everybody. And I do believe that we'll see more and more government um, contributions to programs to support well-being as we as we move out of 2020, whatever it, wherever it is um, that we go towards, because we don't know. It's no, we, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but we. We don't have it at the moment. It's about how we look at our resiliency skills and how we can support each other to to manage new situations like we have. So tell me about the well-being of your school communities. And Anna, I'll give you a crack because it might go out. Um, look, it's been a real challenge, and um, we've uh, the well-being of, of our broader community of the students themselves and absolutely of the staff because they've had to be very agile, very resilient, uh, very creative. They've been expected to turn on an absolute pin twice, uh, well, three times really, to come back to remote and then to go back into mm -hmm. school and then back again. So um, we put in a whole lot of strategies, very, very conscious about that. So regular check-ins, our um, wellbeing leaders have done immense amount of work uh, in terms of setting up programs um, to connect with the students. Uh, so face-to-face -face connection every period, uh, wellbeing meetings now have been factored in and timetabled in every day. Um, we have senior leaders connecting with the students almost every day. Uh, we're, you know, doing live streaming of assemblies and, you know, and major events as much as we can to bring everyone in and, and maintain that sense of community. Um, we've, uh, our alumni, for example, have written letters and we've written handwritten letters to our 80-year-olds and so on, so, who are <laughs> many of them in nursing homes and, you know, under real threat. So yeah. there's a concerted effort to have the little ones connect with the oldest um, and to just maintain that sense of communication and break down 
that sense of dislocation. Our student voice has been phenomenal in in um, driving a lot of the wellbeing initiatives and activities. Our senior leaders around sustainability have led, um, you know, uh, being sustainable in your own home and creating all sorts of programs and projects in that space. Our U9 Sacred Heart leaders led a whole initiative around connecting with our sister school in Sydney and having a fun run style with gamification of levels of um, attainment. So <laughs> they've run their own yoga sessions before school. Um, we've had staff and the Staff Health and Wellbeing Committee really make a massive effort to run uh, morning teas, uh, yoga sessions, uh, meditation for staff. We've had phone call check-ins. We've actually um, ensured that not only did we have the school psychologists connecting with students and maintaining as best they can the care of individual students who are at risk especially, but we, we employed a, another school psychologist or a psychologist to work with staff on top of our normal access e EAP mm. because we were very conscious that um, many of our staff were feeling very under the gun and isolated and, and many of our staff were parents working at home with their own little ones <laughs> and teaching yeah. at the same time. So, you know, very, very challenging, relentless, um, low-level anxiety and pressure that we're very, very conscious that everyone was yeah. working under and, and will continue to, to be facing into going into the next little while. We're lucky in some ways, and I know, Catherine, you've probably got the same thing, that because we're values-based learning organisations, we're able to go back to our charisms and back to our core values and back to our core way of beings and really build the language around that, around love and respect and around, for us, the big ones are courage and compassion and linked to that then is resilience and, and gratitude. And so we're able to tap into, and kindness, which is a big one for us, um, that sense of finding hope in the darkest moments and tapping into all the metaphors and the language mm -hmm. around that, which at times like this I think are absolutely um, pivotal in helping people get through what can be pretty dark times. Mm. Well, we've never been in this before, have we? This, no. is, this is new territory and um, I... The, the being part of the community that actually is is going together, just a, a small step together, taking each other along, um, is is quite a metaphor for me. It, it's just is that movement. It's a bit like that, you know, the but the story of the butterfly effect. You know, the the small ripples. You never know where they go. Yeah, and I love your examples. So thank you, thank you very much because your examples are showing the behaviour that comes from the values um, based vision and charism that you but that your schools both hold they're dynamic learning environments aren't they and it sounds like both of you no wonder there's a little bit of fatigue going on um it it sounds like there was um quite a lot of energy a lot of deliberate design in in providing the best possible environment for the learning to occur under stress under stress because we don't quite understand what goes on in everybody's thing, whether they're six-year-olds, whether they're 14-year-olds, whether they're 18, 35-year-old, 50-year-old teacher, so, and parents, so. Well, you carry <laughs> community as well. Mm. 
I think apart from all of the, the student-oriented things, I think one of the, the big factors for us was our principal, um, Ashley Martin, um, has now spoken to the staff once a week um, at a, a sort of community, if you like, event. Um, but there was a certain calmness and stability that came with that routine, um, mm. the transparency and trust that it fostered. I think buffered us to a certain extent, you know, while all else was a little bit uncertain, there was a certain, you know, um, predictability, if you like, that was welcomed by the staff. Um, so you can imagine out of all of those staff, how regularly, you know, to get everyone in those live events, it's not something that we would have typically done, but mm. I, I hope we retain because there was a lovely sense of community. Um, that sense of gratitude, I think is something I'd like to pick up on because it often finished with expressions of gratitude being shared by staff with each other, um, really re realizing that we were actually quite fortunate in so many ways in this period. Um, and I think the other thing I guess I'd like to pick up on was, um, while we had a lot of those, um, you know, provisions for students in terms of support, pastoral care support, another, uh, a wonderful head of wellbeing here was organizing all sorts of formal and informal things. I think the opportunity that the students were given to consider other people and do things for others uh, were equally important. So there was an awful lot of maintenance of community service uh, going on, um, students collaborating in very clever ways to do that, um, despite the social distancing. And if you can do it in these circumstances, you can think of your community for the rest of your lives. Exactly. Um, because it, it wasn't easy. And I think those challenges were good. Um, and they were um, building the self-efficacy of these kids to um, to be better people as a result of what they've experienced. So, um, yeah, big growth. Um, well, what you're talking about is uh, letting them use their curiosity and imagination to find yeah. new, new ways forward. You know, new ways to be together. Yeah, new ways to learn. I think, oh, wow. I think perhaps was almost from day one, and this was wave one, but from day one, I think we were permissioned to have quite a growth mindset in this period. Yeah. So uh, I think it was almost on the first day. It was definitely in the first week when uh, Ashley said something like, you know, day 25 is going to be better than day two. Um, and, and basically gave permission to pe for people to grow into this experience. We had no, you know, sense that we'd find the magic bullet in the first week. We didn't. Uh, we learned by doing. Um, we tried to watch out what was, you know, look at what was working successfully. Um, we tried to mature it in the second wave, but um, we certainly learned on the job. <laughs> Well, that's that's definitely not taken for granted, Catherine or, or Anna, is it? You definitely learn on the job, in the job, on the job, for the job, by the job. <laughs> oh, look, I'm I'm. Um, it would be an, an interesting exercise to have been a little fly on the wall, watching in on the communities as as this happened and and the second time around. But and that's not uh, that's just for my own just just looking at observation and people's behaviours, what it was you noticed um, when the uh, the best of us came forward and perhaps the worst of us came forward and how we were able to support each other for that. Um, and I'm going to ask you, if there was something you would like to put out there to the greater universe, um, to the to the globe, to the to education about a wish for education for the next two years, perhaps, 
maybe it's just till the end of the year and, and a little bit further on, but maybe two years. Um, have you got any thoughts? Is there something that's really burning inside you or, or a, an insight that you've really gained from the double lockdown, from, the, from 2020 educating in Victoria? Because the rest of Australia has not had the same depth of experience. I think that there's a, a reorientation that really needs to be covered in the curriculum and what's absolutely essential uh, and to take off some of the pressure around um, exams and, and, you know, the final end of year um, assessment for our senior students. And I think... Uh, what will be happening, and I was just talking to you, Carrie, before about the importance of the Shergold report and um, rethinking the pathways for our senior students and senior schooling. And I think what will happen from this will be an acceleration of change, uh, and I'm hoping that that's the case. So I'm hoping that that mm. change around um, the, just the over-reliance and the emphasis on ATAR, for example, uh, the universities are being forced to and have been doing so for a couple of years anyway, but because of certainly Victoria's second experience of lockdown, I think they really will need to look at how they're um, accepting students into the universities and I think there'll be major changes around learner profiles and a real shift in appreciation of the whole person rather than just a, a ranked number at the end of the year and I think this experience that we've gone through plus the great research that's out there and the changes that have been bubbling away anyway my wish is that that's accelerated because of what we've experienced and I think that will happen. Mm, thank you Rona you've thought about that haven't you. Mm. Um, Catherine what about you? I'd like to dig in a little bit closer to the learners. I think we have now got a different learner and I'm I mean, all learners, parents, teachers, students, they've learned they can be a little more self-regulated. They've actually acquired a taste for self-regulated learning. Um, I don't want us to be complacent about that. I would hate to see that evaporate after such a, an important learning experience. Um, so that, that notion of fanning that fire, and I think, and to agree with Anna there, I think they're going to be a lot more critical of, of what's relevant and what's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of engaging these more self-regulated learners, they are not going to settle um, for stuff that's, that's not as relevant as it, as it could or should be. We've, we've tested ourselves as part of our um, provision for students now. We've really gone back to making the learning intention very clear, being very explicit on how we're teaching, um, partially to be you know, transparent with parents who are supporting particularly younger learners. Um, but I think that questioning the relevance of, of, of some of the things that we, we teach and, and being able to explain the purpose. Um, I think we've also realised that change is not as linear as we thought it was. Um, it, I don't think I'll ever accept change as this linear progression anymore. It, it comes right. at you from all sides. Um, growth is, is a lot different to that sort of linear lockstep progression that we we tend to you know unfortunately you know i was going to say emulate but we're not emulating anything we contrive this 
this linear lockstep progression. I think, I think that's been exposed. You know, it's 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 yep. not the reality of learning. Um, it's much more of a spiral. Um, it's it's an upward spiral, and it's born of a lot of change. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think Anna has been exposed enough to moving in and out. <laughs> Of the V-Live tonight, so we're going to say goodbye to her. But you know what, Catherine, what a great way to finish off because mm. I love it that you just said it. The, the things that aren't working for our student self-regulated learners, for our, for our teacher learners, for our families, have been totally taken bare. They've made, been totally <laughs> taken bare, made naked, and we, we, we are now in a position where we can go, no. Absolutely not serving as well. So I've got to thank you for all your insights tonight, for your wise words, for sharing some of your um, your COVID experience with us um, and wish you all the very best for the rest of the year. We don't know. Christmas will arrive. That's a certainty. It will come. And um, for all our students, for all our families, um, you know, even though you mightn't hear it, there's plenty of love and kindness that's circulating the world at the moment um, for anyone who's uh, not doing as well as they hoped, but those of you who are finding change massive because, um, you know, it's not easy. So thank you so much for your care, your courage, your compassion and your craft, your fantastic educational craft and expertise. So Catherine Hoytman, it's been a pleasure to have you on tonight, just as it has been a pleasure to have Anna Masters on and whatever happens with IT, it happens. So we manage. So well, don't worry. We at the same time, 7.30, and we will hopefully have oiled out a few little bugs. So there we go. Catherine, you take good care of yourself. See you soon. Bye. Bye. I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. 